everybody. Welcome. Good evening, one and all. Welcome to our worship service this evening at Germantown Presbyterian Church. It's a delight to see everybody here. Welcome also all of you who are worshiping with us uh, online, coming to us from your home. We're glad to welcome you also in part of this service, into this service, and to have all of us, whether you're here in person or whether you're watching, watching at home, worshiping there, we're all part of the same congregation worshiping God together this evening. And so it's a great uh, great thing to welcome everybody to this time of worship and to remind everybody at home that you can download the church bulletin. You can download the bulletin for this service by going to the church website. There's a tab there and you can download the bulletin and follow along. You'll see the words for all of our songs. You'll see the different elements of worship and the scripture for this evening service as well. So I invite all of you to do just that, to download the bulletin and then also to please sign the online friendship pad. If you would sign that, let us know that you're worshiping with us at home, and that way we can see your names, and we pray for those folks uh, who watch the service during the week, and it's just a grateful, uh, a great thing for us to know who's worshiping with us at home, especially if you're visiting with us. If you are watching and you're thinking about Germantown Presbyterian Church, or you're just curious about who we are as a church, and you're visiting, we want to encourage you to sign that uh, online friendship pad as well and let us know where you're worshiping from. And we'd love to reach out to you and greet you personally and thank you for worshiping with us here at GPC. I want to run through a few uh, announcements for us this evening as we get started before we worship. A few things going on in the life of our church. And that's just to remind you of the busy season that's coming up and the many good things that will be happening as we progress through the next several weeks. We want to remind you about next Sunday's Easter egg hunt, and that's for children, uh, children of all ages, in fact. I'll be there, and we'll all have fun at that, but um, it's at 3.30 next Sunday. Meet here in the church, and there'll be, it's uh, COVID-safe, COVID-friendly. There'll be lots of different places for people to, uh, to hide and find eggs, and our Congregational Life Committee uh, helps put this on. It'll be a great way for us to engage our community. We invite anybody to bring their grandchildren, bring their uh, neighbors, children. We love to have as many visitors as we can for that special event. So please do make plans for that next Sunday. We do need donations of candy. We need uh, individually wrapped pieces of candy that you can bring to the church uh, tomorrow or Tuesday, and those will be stuffed into uh, little plastic eggs um, that will be hunted down. So please do, if you can, bring, a, bring by a bag of candy for the Easter egg hunt. You'll see in your bulletin uh, lots of announcements. I do want to highlight again for you um, things that are coming up and to remind you about uh, Easter coming up in two weeks. And we will have this evening worship service. We'll also have two morning worship services. And so we'll have a 930 service. And then uh, we need time in between to sanitize and to get things straightened up. So the other morning service will be at 1130. A little bit later than usual, but um, that means you can have brunch first and then come to worship at 11.30 or come back at 6. So 9.30, 11.30, and 6 p.m. on Easter Day. We will have our Monday, Thursday service as always, 6.30 p.m. It'll be in here, plus it'll be live streamed as well as a Good Friday service that will be in the chapel, and that'll be a very special service as well, Good Friday at 6 p.m. in the chapel. Please also look and see the many other announcements that are coming up. You'll also see an announcement about the youth auction, a very special event that takes place each year. It's our big fundraiser for our youth summer trips. And so there's, um, there's going to be a fun event on that uh, April the 11th 
which is a Sunday, is a Sunday, isn't it? It is a Sunday, and um, you'll be signing up for different times where you can come by and bid on items, and then it's your sort of best offer, and so you put in your best offer and whatever the highest offer is for that particular item, that'll be the winner. We've got great items again coming uh, this uh, auction. There'll be wonderful things to bid on, and it'll be a fun time, so please see the announcement about that. And then also the Memphis Joy Prom is coming up on April 16th, and that's another special event that we participate in here at GPC, and they're doing it again differently this year. It's kind of a promenade and a little parade event, and you'll see information in your bulletin about that. That's on Friday, April 16th, and we want people to sign up for that as well, and you'll see information there in your bulletin on that. And then finally, Nakomi coming up end of April early May. Again, an, a wonderful chance for our church uh, family to be together. We've had a great response of people who are going to go, and it'll be COVID safe, of course, and it's an event for people of all ages, and you'll really enjoy that, so I encourage you to register for Nakomi coming up at the end of April and that fun event that'll be good for all of us. Friends, those are all of our announcements. Now let us prepare our hearts and minds to worship God. Let us pray as a way of preparing our hearts and minds to worship God. Gracious God, we come before you this evening, and we are so thankful for this day. Lord, this is the day you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It is a beautiful spring day. And so, Lord, for the warmth of the temperatures and the brightness of the light coming into this room, oh God, we give you thanks. We pray, oh God, for the brightness of your love to be in our hearts as we worship you this evening. We pray, Lord, that you would please... Um, send your spirit to be with us, Lord, and help us in what we say and what we sing, what we pray and what we think, Lord. Um, we pray that your spirit would inspire us, that we would be drawn closer to you and closer to one another by what we do here tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, hello, everybody. It is good to be here again with you all and to see you all here. Um, this first song is called, My Heart is Filled with Thankfulness. And one thing that I have learned and experienced is that Thanksgiving shifts your perspective because it takes your focus off of the challenges, off the difficulties, and places them on the good. And I don't know where you're coming from tonight, what this past week has held for you, but one of the most beautiful things is we always have things to give thanks for in Jesus. So I, or I invite you to rise and join me in singing this thankfulness song to Jesus.
This next song we're going to sing is called We Must Remember. And there is a line in there that says um, that God has forgotten our sins and that he doesn't remember it anymore. And at first, that really rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, well, he's all-knowing, right? So how, how does he forget? It doesn't seem right. But for us, uh, it's the imagery. That's not the point to get hung up on. Forgiveness is so hard for us as humans. Like we say we forgive, but then like later when something else comes up, well, last time you, you know, and when God says something is forgiven, it is done. It is forgiven. And so no, he doesn't actually forget what we've done, but he might as well have because not a single sin we've ever done is held accountable to us. So we're going to sing it.
We've had several conversion moments this evening. People blinded by the light coming in the window there. Some of our musicians were down on their knees earlier confessing sins they've never committed just in that bright light. Amazing. So if you do nothing else on this spring night, if you do nothing else, you need to go into our memorial garden and go look at the tulips that are blooming there and just look at the rest of the incredible flowers and the beauty of that area and um, those things don't randomly magically appear um, when it was snowing so hard and all the ice was on the ground um, and just thick layers of ice I was going into the chapel and I noticed this green shoot trying to shoot up and break through the ice and it turned out to be those tulips and those flowers. And they're there um, as an act. I think I know who planted them, and I think he's right back there. And I think it's Charles Farenkopf. And, and Alinda, you may have planted them as well. It was all Charles. And it's just the most, they're the most beautiful things to go look through that memorial garden and just see that space and sit there on that bench. And, and especially tonight in the light or come by this week and look at those tulips because it's absolutely gorgeous. Charles, thank you. For all your work back there and for that very special place on our church campus. I want to read tonight as we get started to um, continue our series called Covenant. I want to read tonight from the prophet Jeremiah. And um, Jeremiah is one of those great, great prophetic figures in the Old Testament who teaches us a lot, in fact, about the idea of the covenant and what it means to uh, be in a covenant relationship with God. And so you'll see the scriptures there uh, printed in the bulletin. I'm going to read to you these words from Jeremiah 31. And, and this may be, with the exception of Jeremiah's call story, this may be the most famous passage in the whole book of Jeremiah. People have looked to this passage a lot for personal inspiration. And you'll see these words in Jeremiah 31. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. 
But this, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I'll write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer shall they say to one another, they say to each other, know the Lord. No longer will they teach that to one another, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. We've been in this series called Covenant for several weeks now, and we continue that tonight. And I want to think about this in terms of these words that we hear from Jeremiah, where Jeremiah, speaking for God, God says through Jeremiah, I will write my law on their heart. I've been captivated by that whole phrase this week, I will write my law on their heart, and, and they shall know it. And I've been thinking about that all week long. And at the same time, I was reading a fascinating article about an event that took place uh, now, definitely over 50 years ago. And it was a remarkable event. Um, at that time, it just took the whole world by storm. And it was the first heart transplant. Do you remember that, when that took place, and how everybody was just absolutely captivated by that. The first heart transplant took place in 1967 in South Africa, and it took place with a patient named uh, Louis Washkansky, and he received a new heart with the surgeon, Dr. Christian Bernard, who performed that surgery. And it's amazing to think about, in any, even now, anything involving the human heart is risky, but can you imagine back then how tricky it was? And with the technology that the, they didn't have then that we have now, when it comes to heart transplants, and it was. It was absolutely amazing. It took the world by storm. Heart transplants had been talked about. They had been conceived. A few had been tried, only just a handful, but none successful. So this was the first successful heart transplant where the patient lived after receiving a new heart. I learned a little bit about Mr. Washkansky, how he had uh, heart problems all throughout his adult life. He had developed um, uh, congenital heart failure, and he had three heart attacks, and he knew that if he had a fourth one, then that would be it for him, and that he would die. And so he agreed with Dr. Bernard that he would be willing to undergo a heart transplant if the circumstances were right. Now, you know the flip side of that. So for the circumstances to be right for him to receive a heart means that circumstances have to be terribly, terribly wrong for somebody else. And they were. And the circumstances were wrong, tragically, for a young woman, 25 years old, named Denise Darville. She and her mother were crossing a street in Johannesburg when they were hit by a drunk driver. And her mother died immediately. And young Denise uh, was taken to the hospital there. And she, she, she was alive, but it was clear that she would not live through that and not survive. And so her father had to make that choice. Um, we hear about that choice, that decision now, because organ transplants are, are, are routine, as special as they are. They're still, um, still something now you can designate on your driver's license that you'll be an organ donor. And organ donations and organ transplants happen often enough. Um, it's still a hard decision to make, but think about being the first father in history to have to make that decision, to take a good heart out of your child to replace a damaged heart, a diseased heart in somebody else. Well, he gave his consent, and Louis Wyskansky, he received that heart that was new to him, 
And he woke up, and through his eyes that were filled with tears, he asked to speak to his wife, and he did. And they conversed some off and on, but he actually died 18 days later of pneumonia. They couldn't prevent that back then. And now, 54 years later, of course, there have been thousands and thousands and thousands of heart transplants, different organ transplants, and the stories are amazing. I went and looked at the um, American Heart Association website where you can go and you can see the testimonials of people who have given, um, who have received heart transplants. And I looked at one, and her name was, um, actually this came up totally randomly by choice. I just happened to look at Jen Lentini, and she calls her heart transplant day, which I just happened to look at. It was July the 6th. 1996, which happens to be the day that we got married, another different kind of heart transplant in a different way. Um, so imagine that while we were getting married, Jen Lentini was receiving her heart, and she taught, calls that day her rebirth day when she received that heart. And you look at her testimonial and others, and they'll use words like that, rebirth day, or words like grateful, new lease on life, a whole new life, so starting over, a fresh start, rebirth, and they'll, they'll use words like um, joy and happiness and, and tears and all kinds of things. That's what happens when you get a new heart. Now, what's fascinating is to look at those testimonials and to see on there how people say that they want to be, after receiving a new heart, they have this great desire to be morally better, to be better people because they've received a new heart. And they, they remember some of their past mistakes, they remember some of their regrets, and they talk about they want to start over and they want to live a new life because of this new heart. And when you analyze why, it's because of the tragedy. It's because of the sacrifice. They know that someone died in order to give them this new lease on life, and, and it just has this powerful, profound effect on them, and they want to be better from then on. They want to live this new life. Now, does that sound familiar? It should, because that's our story too. That's our story too, and, and as we dive into this text from Jeremiah, what I want us to see is that we are all, in a way, heart transplant recipients. We are all recipients of a new heart. And we see this in this reading from Jeremiah. We've been talking about this, this idea of a covenant now for several weeks. We've been talking about different attributes of the covenant. We've been talking about the differences between covenants and contracts. We've talked about God's unconditional love, that no matter what you've done, no matter what regrets you might have, no matter what mistakes you might have, God unconditionally welcomes you and just embraces you into this relationship of love, this covenant relationship. We've talked about other attributes. We've talked about the difference between uh, this uh, co covenant and a contract, of course. And a few um, weeks ago, you may remember, I asked you, I asked you to count up the number of contracts that you live in every day. And I started to do this just by looking at the mail that came in. Look at your daily mail for a couple of weeks, and you'll suddenly see all the different contracts that regulate and govern your life, maybe even without realizing it. All kinds of things like insurance and healthcare coverage and your driver's license and your mortgage and your loans and all these different contracts or all these different things that regulate you that you have to abide by because it's the law. 
Another way to think about it, maybe a larger, maybe more philosophical way, is the idea of the social contract. You may remember this from some of your, maybe your, some of your political science classes or your philosophy classes, the social contract. This idea that, that all of us, we want to consent, we want to give up some of our freedoms in order that we might have order in our society, that we might have laws, that we might have good governance, that we might have peace in our communities. So we give up some of the things that are quote-unquote freedoms. And it's not a freedom, but, but if you're just an individual, then you can just go take whatever you want from somebody else, right? If it's theirs and you want it, then you just go take it. No, we give up those freedoms in order to have good governance and good, a good life together in community. But there's something else about this idea of, of living in this social contract or this social world in which we live. Do you think about what sociologists, what do social scientists study? They study human interactions and they study how people relate to one another. They study how groups interact with each other. They study the decisions that people make. And we just live in a world that is often user unfriendly. We live in a social world where people want to, to use you or have a piece of you. Again, I was thinking about this, just thinking about the number of advertisements that we see on average every day. One source says that we see about a thousand different advertisements from the cereal box that you read in the morning when you're eating your, your morning breakfast to all the things you hear on the radio to the things you see on the internet. You might watch on television, all the signs all around you, wherever you may be, all these different people who want to use you for your money. They want you to give them your money so that they can just use that. Or people want a piece of you. People want some of your attention. Politicians want your support and your money and your vote. I was thinking about this also in this, this old song that came to mind, the Eurythmics from the early 80s, where Annie Lennox sings, some of them want to use you and some of them want to be used by you. I saw a headline on a blog post a couple of years ago from Kathleen Casper, who's an educator in Florida. And she wrote a blog post called, When Everybody Wants a Piece of You. And that just seems like the kind of world in which we live in, where, where it just feels like we're pulled in so many different directions because everybody wants a piece of you for something. Whether it's your money or your support or your time or your attention. That, and, and you've got your own aspirations and your own dreams and your own um, needs and your family needs you. And, and you've got all these relationships. You've got all these things that are just wanting to pull you in different pieces and, and different ways that want to use you. Which is why a covenant relationship is so much better than this, this social contract in which we have to live. It's so much better than the contracts that govern our lives. A covenant relationship is so good because God doesn't want just a piece of you. God wants all of you. God wants all of you, your whole life and your whole heart. And by giving your whole self to God, by giving your intellect and your will and your heart, your mind, your soul, all of your resources, you are now saying yes to a relationship in which God will never use you and definitely not abuse you. God will never use you. The gain is all yours because of what God gives to you in a covenant relationship of love. The gain is all yours because the grace is all yours to receive from God. 
It's so much better than any relationship you'll ever have in your life. You begin to see all of your other relationships. You begin to see the whole world. You begin to see everybody else through new eyes, and you begin to to love them with a new heart. You begin to understand what it means to have a heart transplant, a spiritual heart transplant, which is what Jeremiah is talking about. You look back into this text, and you see where he talks about that God will write God's law on our hearts, that God is going to give us a new heart, a new way of understanding God. A few weeks ago, we looked at that Mosaic law, that Mosaic covenant, where God established a relationship with the people through Moses, and there was the Torah, and there was the law. And we looked at those Ten Commandments, and we saw this, uh, this, this vertical axis and this horizontal axis, this way in which we love God vertically, and the first four commandments are about loving God, and this, this vertical axis, and the other six commandments were about loving our neighbors around us. And that's just a summary of all the law, loving God and loving our neighbors, that cross-shaped figure that helps us understand what it means to live with God and to live with other people. That, said Jesus, is the sum of all the law. The problem is, by Jeremiah's day, that covenant and that way of loving God and loving, that had just been all skewed and twisted up. Those lines became all twisted and confused. Instead of loving God and loving others, people became so inward and upended. And in the the biblical terminology for what happened is idolatry and injustice. Idolatry and injustice. And you see this in, in the land in that day. God said, don't make idols. Don't have any other God before me. But they did. They cast these little Uh, metal and iron and wood idols, and they worshiped on hilltop shrines. They had other gods before Yahweh. And then they skewered their neighbors, and there's great injustice that you see in prophets like Jeremiah. He talks about how the rich take advantage of the poor and how the poor are indeed just pushed down by those who have all of these advantages. All this idolatry and injustice takes over for God's people. And that happened way back then, and it happens now. And I read the, the further, uh, the, the, the continuance of the story there of that great heart transplant. And I was thinking about how this happens now with uh, Mr. Wyshkansky and Dr. Bernard. And I, and I sort of turned it around to say, well, who's to say that perhaps the wrong person received the heart transplant? And maybe another way of saying it is Dr. Bernard needed a spiritual heart transplant because what happened after that was the fame that came to him from being the first heart transplant surgeon just went completely to his head. He gained this sort of Messiah complex, which happens to a lot of important people. They think they're so important that the world just can't live without them, and the ego and the head just just swells up so much. And he went around the world lecturing in all of these great places and got to travel and, and it just grew more and more famous and more and more wealthy. And all the relationships of his lives just crashed. They all crashed, marriage after marriage after marriage. And then where he was in South Africa at that time, he made statements that, that talked about the racial differences that are so incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He just helped maintain injustice in his own homeland against his own neighbors. So who really needed the heart transplant? 
idolatry and injustice are these covenant breakers. And so here's what God says in Jeremiah. God says this, I will write a new law into their hearts. I will give them a new heart. I'll give them a new way of seeing the world, a new relationship. And he's going he's gonna to bend this in and, and blend this in with this Mosaic law and this Mosaic covenant and the way that people were uh, atoned for their sin back then. There were ways for people to be forgiven, and it involved these rituals with a perfect animal, like a year-old lamb, a perfect lamb, for example, or a scapegoat where the, all the sins of the people would be, would be cast onto that goat. That goat would be beaten and driven out into the wilderness, a, a perfect sacrifice or a, some kind of scapegoat. But all these had to be redone year after year, reenacted year after year, this old covenant way of, of forgiving the sins. And God says the new covenant will be different. It will be different. It will come from one final sacrifice that will be once and for all, one final tragedy so that everybody can start over with a new start. And so that's what this season of Lent is about. You know, the season of Lent is, is always driving toward a purpose and toward a conclusion. And that conclusion is on the most important day of the Christian year. And if you think I'm talking about Easter, I'm not. I'm talking about Good Friday. I'm talking about Good Friday and what happened on the cross. And that once and for all final sacrifice so that our sins could be forgiven. It comes out here in Jeremiah. It comes in many places in the New Testament. It comes out in the Gospel of John. It comes out in all of the different Gospels talking about how Christ willingly takes on this sacrifice into his own life. God willingly self-sacrifices so that we might have life. And this is what happens when God intervenes in history. This is what this new covenant is all about. It's having a heart transplant. It's being willing to let Christ's own heart come into our lives. Let his own heart spiritually graft into ours like a real heart grafts into the vessels and into the veins and then begins to pump and, and, and flow blood throughout the body. So Christ's own heart, we believe in our faith. We believe that Christ's own heart comes into our lives and, and his grace and love course throughout our lives and into our mind. And we see the world and we see people as Jesus does. We see people as God does. We receive this new heart. That's what this season of Lent is about. It's a chance for us to say yes, to give our consent, to say yes, I, I want this new heart in exchange for a bad one. And for some people, we've said that before, we've said yes before, but we renew that pledge now. And for some people, maybe that happens for the first time this Lent, where we say, yes, Lord, I want to receive your grace. I want to receive a new heart. I want to live for you now and for always. And I want to encourage you to do that. As you continue to move through this season of Lent, just a couple of weeks left, I want to encourage you as we move toward Good Friday to continue to examine your own heart and your motivations and to continue to, to see our need for God's grace and then to say yes to that heart transplant. Let us pray. Lord God, we do thank you for offering us a new heart. 
a new life, Lord, a life that is full of grace and abounding in hope, a life that is different from the life into which we were born. So, God, I pray that as we continue to worship tonight and as we move through this season of Lent, that you would continue to show us, O oh God, all the ways in which you have provided for us and all the ways, O oh God, in which you need to, to correct us and to show us grace because we are far from you in different areas in our lives. But I pray that you would continue to guide us and direct us and draw us closer to you as we move through Lent and as we look forward to Holy Week. I pray this in Christ's name. I invite you to stand and sing with us as we sing that, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my life, I give you my plans, um, I give my life so that I can be used for you. We're going to be singing, I give myself away. I give myself away. give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. Sing that again. I give myself away. Give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me.
is not my home To you I belong I give myself I give myself to you My life is not my home To you I belong I give myself I give myself It's not my Come to this time in our service where we uh, let folks know about our offering, and you can see the uh, offering plates by the doors. You leave that that's an easy way to give, or if you're giving and you want to uh, mail in support for the church as well, that's also appreciated. We're so grateful for everybody's stewardship and everybody's generosity uh, during this time to support the work of Christ Church and to support the work of GPC and this service. So we'll dedicate our offerings through prayer. We'll also lift up prayers for the world and prayers for our neighbors in need as we do so. Let us pray together. Lord God, we come to you on this spring night and we are grateful for the beauty of the world around us as we have already mentioned. We do see the flowers blooming, we see the trees blossoming, and we know that you are a God of incredible power and incredible goodness. And so we pray, O oh God, that we would stop at different points during this week, that we would stop to admire and to express gratitude for all that you're doing in creation around us. Lord, we know that even in times of COVID and we have complaints and we sometimes speak so much about our woes, we know that there are also good things for which we are grateful. And so we do want to pause and thank you, Lord, for all the many things and the many blessings we see unfolding around us. We thank, O oh God, of families where there have been new births within our own congregation and among our friends and family members, and there's a celebration of new life, each child reminding us of your great love. And so we celebrate, O oh God, with those who celebrate. We're grateful, O oh God, for those who do have a new lease on life, whether that's through a healing or through a forgiveness. 
or through some other change of circumstance, O oh God, that you have engineered for them to have this release and this new perspective and this way of seeing their own lives in a new way, O oh God, for these new lives and these new ways of seeing the world, we are grateful. O oh God, we do also uh, look at our neighbors around us, some not very far away, and we know that there is grief and that there is hardship. And so we think about our own church family, O oh God, and those who are suffering from grief due to death. And we thank also, O oh God, of those who are suffering through illness and through hardship. And so we lift them up to you. Lord, we think about their faces and we say their names and we pray for them, O oh God, that you would be especially close and be especially loving and gracious. Lord, we continue to lift up the world around us, and we are always thinking about what we hope is on the horizon with the end of COVID. And so we pray, Lord, for those who are uh, using their medical expertise, those who are using their healing arts, O oh God. And we pray for those who are administering the vaccinations, and we pray for those, O oh God, who are administering that process. We pray, O oh God, also um, for other folks in places who need healing and who need grace because their bodies are suffering from illness. We lift them up to you tonight. Lord, we also know that when violence erupts in any place, it is brought home for all of us. And so we think about those in the city of Atlanta who have experienced this horrific act of violence, this mass shooting this week. Lord, we see these events and we can never grow numb to them because those are real people and those are real lives. And now so much pain left in the wake of those deaths. And so we pray, oh God, for all of those who are affected. We pray that their pain might be ours, that we might share, oh God, and we, we might minister to them in whatever way that we can. And we lift all those victims up to you. We pray, oh God, that you would hear all of these prayers, many spoken, but so many unspoken. And as we pray them, O oh God, we lift up our, all, all of our voices, as distinct and as different as they are, and yet in the one body of Christ, we lift them up together. And we pray the prayer that you taught us, O oh Lord. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Would you please stand and sing? We're going to sing one more. We're going to sing, Faithful you are, all your promises are yes and amen. And I have some bad news, but good news. Whatever trial you're going through right now, hardship, he has not promised that he's going to take that away. He's not promised that you're immune from COVID. He's not promised you health, wealth, easy life. In fact, he's said to expect the opposite sometimes. But he has promised that he's going to be there with us through it all. He's promised us a new heart and that he's written his name on it. And that we're going to get to spend eternity with him as adopted children in the family. So let's sing it. 
Thank you so much. Dear friends, this brings us to the end of our service. We're grateful for this day of worship. I invite you now to go out into this world to love and serve the Lord and to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. And as you go, may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and dwell in your heart and in your mind forever. Amen.
ashes you have broken every curse blessed redeemer you have set this captive free lord i can't help Your promises are yes and amen.